my aunt and my and her husband just retired and all they do is they sit and they watch youtube and not like any youtube but they'll sit and watch the johnny yeah. depp amber heard investigation or whatever that is like for yeah. hours like that's their day well see that's fucking awesome though i take i take the other side to that argument where i'm like yo dude if you gotta rot your brain at least like rot your brain in an insane way like that's an insane you don't think watching thing Jimmy to Kimmel do so i'm kind of like, insane well, I feel okay. No, you know what? Point taken. That is a little insane. <laughs> but I feel like I feel like I feel like I feel like that's it. Like that's insane as like a guy who uh, you know struggles with manic depressive episodes, where like sitting down and just watching the full coverage of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing. That's insane. Like a guy with paranoid schizophrenia. That's like more my brand of insane. I like that insane. All right. And on that note, before we dive way too in depth. To uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Uh, uh-huh. Let's sure. get into it. Oh, oh, nope. Okay. Oh, okay. That's what's going on. Uh, hi. Hello there, everyone. My name is Christian. <laughs> and I'm Dan. And I'm John. And wow. together, we are uh, uh, people cage, that are recording cage, a podcast cage, called Cape Shit. For money. Say, it, say it with me now. Cape Shit. Cape Shit. For money. Cape Shit. Cape Shit. For, yeah. Yeah. Oh, are we Hi, getting paid up, for this? Uh, in my mind, we are. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hey, we're you, we're getting we're getting paid with the immutable bonds of friendship exactly. that Thank we you. are uh, generating between you. one another. That is yeah. far less money than I make in my real job. Okay, so. we get it. All right, it. what's up, guys? It's another episode of Cape Shit. Hello there. As you know, my name is Christian. In this podcast, uh, we go through uh, Marvel movies one by one. I've never seen any of them and have never really been that interested, if I'm being totally honest with all of you, which I am. Uh, over here, uh, we have Dan. He's the man with the Marvel plan. He owns 300 68 Funko Pops, all Marvel related uh, uh, things. Your Spider Man, your Captain America's, things like that. Big old Marvel head. He's a he's a he's a fan. So all you dorks out there that are into this kind of thing, uh, don't worry. He's 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 the man for you defending. And then of course uh, we have our boy John. Just uh, make sure it all sticks together. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. What is, the Funko Pop thing yeah, isn't can true. We, so I'm no, just gonna no, throw no. that out is there. It, what's the number though? Because I want to know. There, I, I'm not talking no, about. No, Funko I'm Pop talking about Funko today. Pops. Though. Today is not the. What's the yeah, number? He's you know the number. Pops, I know you know no. the number. The number is way less than what he said. So, uh, <laughs> today, <laughs> uh, if you uh, decided not to listen to episode zero, which honestly, uh, good choice. I, I don't know. Honestly, I haven't listened to it yet. So. We'll yep. see how that episode turns yeah. out. Uh, but if you no, didn't... Good, <laughs> it, it, you know what? If you've chosen not to listen to any of this, it's probably a good way to spend your time. Yeah, that's true. Go listen to yeah. the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. All right, uh, so... Yeah, I hear uh, that the uh, ladies from The Office uh, have a podcast that's pretty popular. Yeah, I, I listen to that personally. Uh, yeah, uh, sure but The Office is uh, another massive, wonderful franchise that everyone loves that we'll address in our next podcast <laughs> called <laughs> Office Shit. <laughs> Yeah. Off shit. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, um, yeah. That's on, that's on the that's on the pipeline. Yeah. So just give us about five years to finish out this one. We'll start that one Perfect. next. Uh, cool. Well, we are talking about Iron Man today, and this is uh, while a very long movie, kind of a, a big one in regards to setting up the 
uh, MCU in certain ways, and we'll talk about what that all means and uh, how Iron Man has played into that. Uh, a couple quick notes on this before we start into uh, Christian tearing it all apart. Uh, John Favreau directed, he plays Happy in this, uh, Mr. Hogan, uh, Happy Hogan, I guess is his full name there. Wait, what? He, pl he plays who? Happy. Happy He plays Hogan. one of the, uh, security guards for, uh, for, uh, Tony Stark. He's in okay. a lot of it. He drove him from the airport, all the places. So, gotcha. uh, later on as the MCU expands, so will his role. So he was director and, uh, played a role within the, uh, movie itself, which is, always kind of an interesting thing like do they cast themselves in that role and is that kind of weird and you know i don't know do actors feel like that's a weird thing when directors cast themselves into a role for their own movie you know as an actor myself i would have to say no it's oh, probably not oh okay yeah. yeah i feel like that just happens that's just all the, the time definitive it does is no yeah okay well uh this is interesting because this movie was actually not uh distributed by disney this was actually what? before, wow, this was before the acquisition of Marvel uh, to Disney. And so Marvel uh, essentially reacquired their film rights because they had sold them to a bunch of different studios. They got it back in 2005. This movie was released in 2008 and distributed by Paramount Pictures. Oh. Uh, Disney didn't acquire Marvel Studios until December 31st, 2009. Um, but... The idea of the MCU was in progress already uh, before Disney bought it out. Uh, and so leading that charge is a person named Kevin Feige. Uh, he is known as the person to have created the MCU. He's worked on Marvel films going as far back as 2000, including X-Men, uh, the original Spider-Man movies, Fantastic Four, uh, and a bunch more. So that includes the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans. He was uh, producing on all of those. Uh, and so I don't know necessarily that that's a good thing, but I guess what it shows is moving the uh, the ownership of those Marvel rights from others to Disney has clearly shown a difference in the movie quality. But, you know, I guess we'll see that as we watch through these uh, MCU movies. Uh, and just to clarify real quick as well is that Sony, until today as well, still owns Spider-Man and all Spider-Man-related villains, including Venom, Carnage, Vulture, and others. Uh, and Fox uh, used to own a bunch of Marvel-related heroes and villains, so Disney just said, you know what, we'll just buy you as well. So that included things like Deadpool, Fantastic Four, and others. Uh, and so now that all falls under the House of Mouse, Disney. House um, of but Mouse. for this one, you'll see at the very start, that this was uh, distributed by Paramount Pictures. Wait, so do you know what movie came out like around the time that Disney acquired Marvel? Like what was the beginning of the Disney empire or Disney saga of Marvel? Yeah, I guess. So uh, again, they kind of bought out these rights to have Kevin Feige continue on his vision for what was coming after Iron Man. Um, and so the first movie that was released under the disney realm was the incredible hulk oh which is the next movie in the mcu timeline which will be the next episode of this podcast sick wow and i for one am looking forward to it yeah, yeah. i know that you are <laughs> uh so you know some quick basics here obviously this is the first uh movie in the marvel cinematic universe uh what would then become the largest cinematic universe of movies that has really ever been created and uh it's 
it's uh it's a crazy journey that we're gonna take mm -hmm. through all these 20-ish movies uh iron man's original success is what really gained the initial momentum to build out this mcu uh and the movie sets up uh its first connection to uh a bunch of different uh ideas across the mcu including things like the avengers so uh, this was a pretty big deal for comic book nerds when this movie came out. Yeah. So, no, everything that Dan said is correct. I am assuming I haven't looked into any of it, nor am I necessarily that interested in doing so. But I can tell you that uh, this movie is called Iron Man uh, that we that we that we uh, just watched. And, uh, you know, as uh, I guess, like, first uh, first. Uh, my reaction as someone who never really uh, paid attention to these movies or cared about uh, them that much uh, is that, like, this movie... Okay, so this movie opens with uh, ACDC mm -hmm. back in black, uh, mm -hmm. playing over a vague Middle Eastern desert somewhere. Um, do we know, like, is, that, is, it, is it supposed to be Iraq, or is it just kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, this is Iraq? Uh, I don't think they say specifically that it is. Right, okay, for sure. It's, like, this movie definitely had pretty, uh, like, post-9-11 vibes yeah, to me, 100%. you know? Where it's like... Because the entire uh, the, the entire thing that kind of goes down initially is it's just like, yo, it's like these cool military guys and then these spooky terrorist dudes. And then there's this and then and then there's the terrorist leader who like is uh, uh, a, you know, kind of lighter skin terrorist guy who speaks English, but he's still but he's still a terrorist. And that's not. That's not good. And then, you know, the weapons industrial complex is cool when it's Americans killing people. But then as soon as Tony kind of comes to realize, he's like, oh, no, wait, my weapons are killing Americans. Yeah. Well, we can't have this anymore, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was like, I don't know if that's, it was, it that's was, the point they wanted you to take away from it. Well, it was certainly an interesting start to the movie because, again, and I, I made this point at the start because this kind of brings up my point here, which is I don't know that Disney would have started the movie off no, this way if they had owned it at this point. Not. Like, there were a bunch of soldiers getting shot dead right in front of him. Like, to start off this first large entry into what would end up being, you know, 11 years or 12 years worth of movies... Seems like an interesting start here uh, to kind of really start with just mass amounts of violence at the start of this movie. Um, sure. Again, probably not the start that Disney would have had, yeah. but uh, was pretty intense. It also seems like potentially at some point uh, there was a story shift because what we did see as well is kind of this uh, vague calling to the Ten Rings, which is behind Tony as they do like the uh, hostage video. Uh, and they kind of mention it a couple times that the Ten Rings, which is normally led by uh, a villain called the Mandarin. Mm -hmm. And actually, we see that uh, about 11 years later in uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, which... Well, also in in uh, in Iron Man 3. Yes. That's like the plot point, right? Ye well, I mean, not to like spoil it, but I guess <laughs> how, everyone who's going to be listening to this has watched everything. How would I know that? I don't know that. 
Yeah, it, it seems like yeah, based on okay. some of the initial <laughs> research, the initial goal was to have the Mandarin be the villain of this movie, and it seems like they kind of backed down on that idea, but still kept uh, the uh, the Ten Rings as the group that they were representing, which, again, seems mm. like a, a, a weird choice uh, based on how they approached the, uh, the group that was holding Tony hostage. Yeah. And that's like, well, to backtrack a little bit, first of all, I did, I have the the video popped up on another window right now, and I did check the first, like, what is this, first 50 seconds, and it does say that it's in Afghanistan. Oh, so it's in Afghanistan, yeah, for sure. Shout out. Uh, yeah. One of the things that, <laughs> like, really struck me, and I think it kind of goes through, like, the first couple movies of the MCU, too, is that it kind of seems like a lot of military propaganda. Yeah. Like, oh, for sure. They're dude. looking hard. Yeah. And, no. I mean, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the te- like the takeaway of this movie is like legitimately that like you know, uh, United States has overwhelming forces and like you know the military is fucking badass, dude. It's like hell yeah. You know, like all the all the all the poses and. You yeah, know, I mean, everything yeah. seems it. It seems like it's filmed like an army recruitment ad. Right. Yeah. Completely. That's how I felt throughout the entire movie. I I fully agree with that. Like they're like trying to get like sixteen year olds, and it's like, oh hey dude, if you come yeah, and join dude. the military, you can kind of be Tony <laughs> Stark as opposed to you know getting shot. We're fucking lit out. Well, here, but yeah. I I'd say that literally it it kind of doesn't do that because immediately Tony turns his back on the entire thing. And becomes his own hero that has nothing to do with mm-hmm. the U.S. government, right? So sure. I mean, a lot of the story is actually rebelling. Yeah, but like, against okay, sure, but like the, the first thing that he does when he turns is he like flies back to Afghanistan, and then he's like, "I'm gonna do the job that the U.S. military is too incompetent to do," and then he kills a bunch of terrorists. Yeah. That is true. That's true. That's very. I mean, true. that's like it's like I mean, I mean, like like legit. Like it, it is like super. Glo- uh, a thing I always kind of find interesting about stuff like this too is that it's like kind of a kind of a funny thing that's always sort of like turned me off from movies like this is how it's like they're always willing to show violence, but like not the repercussions of the violence necessarily. Where it's like. It's it's always so odd to me to see someone like get shot in the chest point blank with a shotgun, but like no like blood go, because that because that yeah. would be too much. You know what I mean? It's, it's the, like it's can, the classic PG thirteening of action movies. Yeah, it's and it's it's weird because it's like you can like there's like a sex scene in this movie which is fucking stupid and we can talk about that in a minute and <laughs> I will certainly or but we like not. you know kind of like. In the start, I mean, it's like, you know, you see the weapons, you see the destruction. It's like, you know, you see a guy with a shotgun. You can see the, you know, like, you know, the visceral whatever. And then he gets shot and then it's just like nothing. And it's like, it's weird that we'll like walk things up to that line. You know, like it's all fine, 
until there would like be blood and then and then frankly that's just too much that's gonna make audiences too uncomfortable we we, we certainly but then like tony bleeds right because like tony gets hit by an ied and he bleeds everywhere but that but 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 he doesn't die and i think that that's like the key it's like you can show blood as long as the person survives but if the person suffers like a mortal wound yeah. that kills them there can't be any blood involved well, I mean, we're going to have a, an entire discussion about censorship and violence in the media and all that shit. But uh, I think that having Tony bleed is a cool literary and uh, visual, you know, sort of tool to show the suffering of the character and sure. to draw like attention to the character, like just in a filmmaking perspective. And uh, that's one of the things that I actually liked about like this movie aside from all of the very weird decisions they made with the military, uh, was the scene where he's like, you know, he gets hit by that missile, he wakes up, and he's on, like, a, a medical bed. There's a hole in his chest. Yeah. And yeah. there's, like, the, you know, the little tension, little music tension building up. He realizes that he has the hole in his chest, and there's, like, this weird body horror scene that goes on for, like, five seconds. Yeah, totally. And I wish the entire movie was that sick. But yeah. then like immediately <laughs> immediately the movie cuts to like a picture of him and Jensen just like talking, like the all the tension's gone. And yeah, that's well, when the movie lost me. Yo, and something you guys uh might have an answer to this. I don't really get it. Like because it's kinda like, oh, okay, the IED messed his heart up. And then this dude, like, you know, did surgery to fix his heart, but he, like, put a magnet in his chest because he's like, it's the only thing keeping the shrapnel from going into your heart. And he's yes. like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. But then, like, why does he still have the thing after what? Like, I kind of get it when he's in the cave, but he wasn't like, yo, this thing is making your heart pump. Like, he specifically says that he stuck this magnet on Tony's chest to make sure that the shrapnel didn't go further. Yeah. And he wasn't like, it's regulating your heartbeat now. It's like, it's just for the shrapnel. So, like, why does Tony still have a thing? I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't get it. Like, wouldn't he just get home and take the shrapnel out with his like billion dollar crazy boy tools and then he wouldn't need that anymore? I mean, I sort of get it because it like powers the suit later, but in the interim, it's like, does he, he just still has the shrapnel in there? Like what, what's going on? Yeah. So this is something that is addressed in a future movie. So I won't go super into it, but he does have his reasonings for essentially replacing the arc reactor with a more powerful one that keeps the shrapnel away uh, and powers his suit better and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but also right. his billionaire stuff is not for him to do surgery on himself. Uh, and so it would have required him to stop what he was doing for, uh, oh, whatever, a week and go get that stuff removed. And that was not time that based on him as a character in that movie, that's not time he was going to take to do. So his yeah. resolution there was to build an arc reactor that would, you know, keep him alive and keep him going and also power his suit moving forward for now. That's an yeah. interesting point. It's plus, like it, cool and shiny and like Yeah, plus technology. it was also a reminder to himself of what got him into that position. Again, he does like bring that up in a future movie. It is addressed. Mm -hmm. It's not just left there forever. Like, oh, does he still have shrapnel like in his heart in the end game, you know, Avengers Endgame movie? Uh, no, no, that's not the case. So, um, yeah, I think it is a mix because again, 
you know, while they utilized all this military stuff, what, you know, the point here was is that it, it did hit him as to mm-hmm. uh, the fact that Stark Industries was supplying these weapons across the world and that his impact in war was, you know, it wasn't just, I think, once he realized that they had it, that it was just that they had it. I think even before then, he, you know, maybe had a little bit of this kind of uh, questioning in his mind. But I think that seeing it on every side was what led him down the more destructive path. No, nah, no way, dude. He, that. he says explicitly in the, like, press conference where he's going all unhinged and off the script. And they're like, get back on the script. His Yeezy know. moment. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's when when he when he goes full Yeezy, uh, he's like, I was I was overseas and I saw our weapons killing American soldiers, and that and that and that and that's like his justification. Yeah. Now, I mean, I guess you could say it's like, well, that's just what he said to the media, wink. wink. But I, mm-hmm. I I genuinely feel like the movie is written like that because it's such a patriotic, like rah rah America kind of deal. That it's like that's his rationale, so that the audience is going to be like, you know what? And the, you get hey, if I was a, a shoe on the other foot, if I was in his position, I'd think the same thing. Yeah, you know what's interesting too, though, is that as Iron Man tends to go throughout the rest of this movie and even further, is that his mindset becomes less and less about America and more and more about the world. Um, and so, if that's kind of what it took, was this whole thing happening to get him I mean, there? That's one thing. But he does move away from just the idea of America to kind of understanding how he helps the world. I'm saying I can totally see that in and how they like fit that to work in the context of the MCU. I'm saying for something I have no context for. Right. I only have context for this one movie. And be that as it may, I'm saying, dude, this one movie, this is like your like classic American post 9-11 action movie, you know, like. So even if the character over time, they start to like write it more to be like, you know what? It's humanity in general. I'm saying like this movie in particular, I think it's just like really, really steeped with uh, like these kind of like, you know, super duper American military tropes. No, I'd be inclined to agree. Yeah. But to piggyback onto Dan's point about how um, he kind of makes a his arc basically is not is like to move away from his own ego and his company to looking out for the better interest of the entire world. And I think that um, something else that happens at the beginning of this movie, uh, not only him seeing the the people dying or whatever and the collateral damage of war, but um, also they do this like really cool visual of him carrying around like the battery, the car battery that's mm-hmm. like keeping the magnet going yeah. while he's walking through this like village of just like weapons grade, you know, army military whatever um as like a representation that he he doesn't he can't think of himself as like immortal like this immortal billionaire anymore right totally a human just like everyone else yeah and i actually agree i thought that like visually some of that stuff was pretty cool um i did however like so so the part that you're talking about is he like you know he wakes up in the cave and then he's like and then there's just some random guy there you've never seen who's like 
I'm a heart surgeon, and I <laughs> and I saved your life, Tony Stark. And he's like, whoa, you know. Um, and then yeah. you have like, then you have like, then you have like the terrorist guy that comes in, and he like is yelling at him in Afghani. I'm assuming. Um, and uh, you know, the 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 other dude has to translate, and they're basically like, okay, uh, you need to make this uh, uh weapon for us, and um. I'm going to say, I'll go out on the limb. This was the absolute weakest part of the entire movie for me, like 100%. I felt like um, this, uh, the whole sequence of him in the cave with the guy and they're making, uh, they're making the missile, but wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's actually making the first Iron Man suit. Like, I'm not trying to get like super nitpicky on stuff in the sense of like, oh, well, this doesn't even make sense because it's like, you know, ultimately I'm like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to suspend disbelief for the sake of story a little bit. But I feel like there were just some like glaring continuity things throughout this entire thing that really sucked me out of the movie and made me feel very aware that I was watching a movie. Um, You know, probably one of the biggest things being that it like, I keep showing these like really stupid like establishing shots of cameras and establishing mm-hmm. shots of Tony looking up at cameras and then they like talk about the cameras and then the other guy in the room yes. is like by the way there are cameras and he's like oh no cameras and then he just like builds he just puts the a wall up <laughs> yeah he just, he, he just like builds the entire Iron Man suit anyway <laughs> it's like this doesn't make sense dude like what am I watching well but he doesn't put the suit together until the last part of that like part of the movie where he goes okay to okay okay uh-huh. riddle, riddle me this Dan all right uh-huh. so um so you are the leader of a terrorist cell um uh-huh. Oh, uh, sick. Dan the terrorist leader. Dan, Dan the terrorist, yeah. Sure. You have captured uh, <laughs> this guy that is going to be, you know, building uh, uh, your new super weapon for you. You start to become a little concerned that maybe he's doing shifty under the table. So much so to the point that you go into the room, torture the guy that he's with, take a burning hot coal out of the fire, threaten to put it into his mouth, scream at him, and then tell him that he has 24 hours to finish the thing or you're both dying, okay? Do you, A, monitor him like a hawk, or do you, B, just kind of fuck off and let him do what he was doing before? Look, I'm a very busy person, so sure. I don't know necessarily uh-huh. that I would you know, sit in there and wait for them. Right. Also, I'm just saying, you have to that figure was that... so convenient, dude. Yeah, I'm but... just saying that whole thing. You, you also have to figure, though, that they are fully under the assumption that they have every bit of the power. Tony is working off a battery for his heart, like they're trapped in a cave. They like, you know what I mean? Every single thing is against them in that moment. And while they did have some suspicion, I don't know necessarily that they would have needed to in that moment think like, oh, this is it. They're getting out. They're going to escape from my hundred people fully armed with guns ready to take them down if they make a dumb move just put a guy in the room i'm gonna take christian's side on this one just put a guy in the room just put a guy in the room you're supplying them you're supplying these two really smart dudes who know engineering with weapons with military weapons right and they're not gonna make weapons 
Like, yeah, and, and, <laughs> and there's like four people outside of the room. Why can't you just take two of the, it's like, you're yeah. already paying them to stand around. Just put them in the room. Okay, so uh, Tony and Yinsen uh, create the mm-hmm. first uh, Iron Man suit, uh, which is uh, based on uh, also a comic design of the original Iron Man suit, uh, which was, I think, really, really cool looking. And I like, I, I think yeah, cool one of the things that sold too. this movie extremely well, which could have been one of the things that hurt it, was the suit design across the entire movie. I think the CGI was really good. The suit design was great. Oh, yeah. Um, and in fact, in watching some of the behind the scenes stuff for this movie, um, they do more actual physical suit design in this movie than any future one does. A lot of mm-hmm. them are mostly CGI. And, and while this one used CGI, uh, there was a lot of actually like uh, Robert Downey Jr. wearing Iron Man helmet and at least the top part of the suit for a lot yeah. of this movie. And I think that one of the the most iconic probably the most iconic part about this movie is the suit building montage. Yeah. You know, looking back at it now this came out in what 2008, yep. 2007, yep. 2008. 2008. And the CG for that scene holds up even today. Like it it is amazing. I agree. Yeah, the the whole sequence of of him you know, well, first of all, there was him actually escaping the compound, which I, again, from a CGI perspective, I didn't get pulled out of that at all. I thought that uh, even till today, it, it mm-hmm. held up really well. I thought the escape sequence is great. I also uh, like the fact that he didn't just, like, get home. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't just, Dude, like, okay, my suit works and I'm home now. Um, Dude, can I so. say about the escape sequence, it was actually one of my favorite things about the entire movie was how the assistant that's in there, like, <laughs> is like, is like, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, he's like trying to finish up the suit. And then there's like, uh, there, there's like a loading bar for some reason that's like slowly going up, and they're like, "Oh, we don't, we don't have enough time." And he's like, "I, I got you, Tony," and he just runs and picks up a gun. He, was, he just sprays just, the gun at an empty can, <laughs> and then he's like dying. And Tony's like, no, we gotta, we gotta stick to the plan. I'm gonna get you out of here. And, and and his line is, this was always the plan, Stark. And it's like, who are you, dude? Like, what the fuck was this thing that I just watched? Well, uh, okay, I mean, okay, wait. Uh, my my issue is not with that line, but go on. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, to be fair, that was always the plan. It's not like they were building a second suit for Yinsen, like. It's not like they had a plan where he was gonna carry him in his arms like a baby and get him out of there. Like, I, yeah, I, I like being like, okay, well, my fi- my family's dead, so I want to go see. It. Like, that's so lame. Like, that's like such a weird, convenient trope to just get rid of a side character. Well, no, because I think that he just he just always knew that he was gonna die in the cave, so it didn't matter to him if he got out or not. Yeah, because their initial thing from those terrorists was that they build the bomb, they're going to be set free. And his line right after that was, that's never going to happen. They're never going to let us free. Even if they built it, they were going to die. So, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I guess my point is, like, you know, look, it's a comic book movie, and it's also a movie and needs to push story forward. And in either way, Jensen wasn't going to be 
you know, the next Avenger in the Iron Patriot outfit and working for the military and coming back to the U.S. and all that. You know what I mean? Yeah, mm. for sure. I just still thought it was like such an undignified death that they tried to make really epic that was just written in a way that was odd. Yeah, it's like it's the trope of like secondary characters who don't really need to die at the moment, but the yeah. story doesn't have anywhere for them to go, so they just go and kill themselves for no reason. Right, yeah. Sure. I mean a, a, yeah. and for and for literally no reason. And also like, you know, I mean he could have like shot some of the dudes too. You know what I mean? Like No, nah, he, he's he's a pacifist. Right. Okay. Word. So he's just going to like he's just fire, a a, fire a machine gun wildly <laughs> at the Dude, roof. that was the funniest part of the movie to <laughs> yeah. me. I don't know. Well, okay. We should probably move out of the desert into the next uh, areas here. And so uh, I know we were talking a little bit about the suit building. I did want to mention, though, uh, one thing we did leave out was the uh, uh, character of Rhodey, um, who is mm -hmm. friends with Tony Stark, working for the government and the army and all of that. Uh, the actor who plays Rhodey in this movie, this is the actual only time that he plays Rhodey in this movie. What is... Yeah, and then they replace him with uh, Captain Planet. <laughs> with Captain Planet, yes. Don yeah. Cheadle, yeah. And so uh, what I found <laughs> was that initially Don Cheadle was actually in the running for this role, and I, it, maybe either schedules conflicted or other things happen, and they decided to go with this other person. Um, and it sounds like once Disney bought the MCU, either there was a disagreement between the actor and Disney, or Disney decided... The original casting was better, and so they decided to bring back uh, Don Cheadle and have him take over starting in Iron Man 2. Um, and so, uh, you know, overall now, as a person who has watched the whole MCU, I think Don Cheadle's the right and a great choice for playing Rhodey. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, this, in Iron Man 1, I don't know, he felt very, very two-dimensional, very... Uh, side character that would be potentially never mentioned again, even though they hinted at this movie uh, at the part where Tony finally takes off with his red and gold suit and Rhodey's in the uh, garage. He looks at the silver suit and he goes, next time, baby. Right? Like he's going to take over the uh, the that suit the, or another suit the specifically. War machine suit. Exactly. Yeah, see... Yeah, and I had I had I had no contact uh, again. I'll I'll stop prefacing everything I say with that because uh, this is like the only Marvel movie it's I've sat assumed. down and paid attention you have no to. Context. Yeah, exactly. Like, but um, yeah, I did not like that character or that actor really. Like, yeah. uh, and I had no idea that he was even going to show up later. So hearing that, um, that's good that he got like recast because I just thought like. It like it was it was it was it was almost kind of, it was almost kind of like a uh, like a straight man goofy guy comedy routine thing yeah. that they had going yeah. on that just felt like very hammy like I like in my notes I have the like the uh, uh, the line uh, written down where they're like sitting in the helicopter and he's like and he's like Tony Stark you're constitutionally incapable of being responsible like and it's like it, it, it was supposed to it, it's supposed to be this kind of like ha 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 kind of moment but it's like i'm just like it's fucking dumb like people don't really talk like this like i don't know i i, I felt like i was getting like pulled out of the scene every time he was there 
Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, and I agree. This wasn't the strongest actor, I think, for this role specifically. And I think that that was uh, pretty quickly noticed once Disney took this over. And uh, again, I think while online mostly says that there were disagreements between Disney and this actor, I, uh, I think pretty clearly the disagreement was you're not very good for this role. Um, yeah, for sure. I will. Yeah. I will say though, with the dynamic of those two characters, uh, and this I think is really a sign of the times. Uh, we did. We we did get a nice gay joke in between the two of them, which I which I which I found interesting because I was like, oh, I bet we probably wouldn't really see that in like uh, Marvel movies coming out uh, more recently, where they're like at Stark Laboratories or headquarters or whatever. And then, you know, uh, uh, he's, like, walking with all of his, like, subordinates and giving them orders. And then Tony walks up and is like, uh, you know, he's basically like, if these guys knew uh, the things about you that I know about you, they wouldn't listen to what you were saying or whatever. And he's like, come on, Tony. You know, they, they, they yeah, kind of get into the yeah. shtick. And it's like, yeah, remember that one weekend in Cancun? What was his oh, name yeah. again? And yeah. then he's like, oh, if you say that, they're yeah. going to really think I'm gay. You know, like, and I was yeah. like, oh, that's funny. It's like, it's like, hey, 2008, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, which, again, brings up kind of the interesting thing of how far this franchise ends up going. Yeah, totally. Uh, and the yeah. fact that also Disney takes this over. Um, and again, so we'll start to see, I think, different trends and jokes and ideas you know, and violence and all that honestly i think disney saved the mc <laughs> yeah i i, I was watching I, I this entire movie and uh it it was kind of mid man i just i i couldn't like stay focused on it like if you look at my notes like the last part of my notes is just like i obviously lost interest here because i have nothing here oh dude by the end of this movie <laughs> i was like so was tired so i was like out. i was like i was like i was like watching it through sheer force of will like i was like oh my god dude i am fucking sleepy yeah it's kind of interesting because i almost feel like there were two opposing forces that created this movie there was the folks that would end up moving towards the mcu and really focusing on building a comic book a uh, story in a movie setting, which kind of leads to what Disney ends up taking over because there were a lot of comic book references. And one of the other things we haven't talked about yet is Agent Coulson, who appears uh, in right. this in this movie and kind of setting up that other world within the MCU of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and then there was the other half, which seems like it may be more of the uh trying to develop a movie that everybody cares about team versus just a movie that hits all the comic book themes and is a really good comic book movie you know what i mean it seems like there were kind of two conflicting uh things that led to an extremely long movie that probably didn't need to be that long yeah for sure like 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 in some ways this movie almost felt like die hard but with like an iron man coat of paint slapped on top of it you know like it could it, like it like it, it didn't have to be involved with marvel at all it, it was just sort of like generic action movie but also it's iron man you know but like but like i i didn't feel like there was anything about this that really made it stand out in a huge way to me as opposed to like any other you know um like you know big explosion gun pew pew kind of fucking shit that i've seen yeah yeah, so 
Um, as we start moving further into this now, uh, you know, we get Tony kind of realizing what his next steps oh, wait, hold are. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. One more note I want to say, and then I'm tossing it right back to you. But I also just want to say one of my favorite scenes in this movie, just before we get totally out of the desert, is when he's like crash landed. And he starts walking over a sand dune, and it's like it's very hot and arid outside. And he's like, "Oh no, I don't know what's gonna happen." And then like a helicopter flies, or like two helicopters fly over his head, and he's like, Ugh! "Like he gets like startled by the helicopters." I just thought that scene was really funny. Because it's like how the how, how the fuck do you get startled by a helicopter, dude? It's like it's like were, were they like silent helicopters until they were directly over your, these like new special military grade helicopters that don't make any noise until they're directly over you? Like what the fuck? Anyway, continue. No. Yeah, that sounds like a really good part of the movie. So that, that was, that was your favorite part of the movie. Yeah, that, yeah my uh, favorite part of the movie is Jeff Bridges on a Segway. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where we're getting to now. Is now we're back. Hell yeah. We're back. Jeff Bridges is uh, seemingly upset that uh, Tony is back and somehow built a suit of armor in a cave and was able to escape and is now uh, furiously riding his Segway uh, into Stark Industries <laughs> to figure out what to do next. Um, and and so uh, as we get into this, you know, I think uh, John already mentioned it a little bit, but really I think what stands out for me in this movie is... Tony Stark being that Tony Stark that we want to see, which is the inventor, the scientist, building the suit of armor, the testing scenes where he flies for the first time with just the the gauntlets and the shoes. And uh, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I thought that this was, uh, to your point, this is the iconic kind of start of the MCU. Like, really, the, the start of the movie and all of that is, okay, character build up. But this, I think, is kind of that vision. And in fact... Um, just scenes in general where he's building suits throughout, even in the desert, in his uh, lab, and others, are kind of yeah. uh, the notes that carry throughout the rest of the MCU of like how this is really diving into these stories and diving into how it's made and uh, focusing on the cool comic book hero things, like uh, especially such a big thing like this suit. Um, and again, I think the CGI in this being so good... Uh, especially for the time, but even holding up till today, is what really invested people in seeing this differently. Because, you know, Spider-Man, <laughs> which was okay uh, in regards to the graphics okay. department. If you go watch it now, it's it can be tough in a lot of spots. Um, Fantastic Four was really tough in a lot of spots. There weren't, oh, you know, this was really, at least to my knowledge, one of the first superhero movies that felt probably the most real and probably the most grounded uh in some reality you know mm -hmm. toby was able to shoot webs from his wrist not from a web shooter which people will uh debate whether that was okay or not but anyways um so now we get into the actual building of the suit and the creation of the first um well the mark ii which is the sleeker silver version of the suit and he goes for his first uh ride out into the world uh, and curious to hear uh, your thoughts on this kind of sequence towards the first Mark II. Yeah, I, th I think I would agree with you. It's like, you know, if there's anything to like about this movie, it's probably like this stuff, I think. You know, him being like, capacitors at 10%. You're like, oh, 10%. That's a pretty low number. And then he slams into a wall. It's kind of like, ha-ha. It's like, whatever, I get it. It, it, it was fine. Um... 
I think that, you know, it's also sort of the part of the movie that feels the most like it has a point, you, you know? Like, I, I feel like there was just, like, a lot of stuff in this movie where I'm just like, what's the point and who cares? Like, the, this kind of stuff, like like what you were saying of him, like, building the suit and actually testing it out and trying, I, I, I'm like, you know, whatever, I get it. It's, it's, it's cool. Um, like, as far as the first flight goes... Like, yeah, CGI holds up pretty well. I thought it was kind of cool. I thought that, like, the whole thing of him going up towards the moon, even though Jarvis is like, Sir, we haven't tested protocols for atmospheric moon conditions. And he's like, I need to go higher, Jarvis. And he like loses power. I thought that that was kind of stupid, honestly, because uh, it's like it's like as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, they're like setting up something for later where he's gonna need to fly really high, but he'll actually be able to do it this time. Uh, and then lo and behold, that's exactly what it was. Like, so that just sort of, that 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 just sort of felt like a weird, unnecessary thing to me. That was just like kind of another like uh transparent sort of convenient to the plot kind of moment where it's just like no he's gonna just fly higher just because but then later it'll come back that that and and it'll be this cool moment where he needs to fly higher and he'll be able to uh and then that happened but um you know i don't know him going home i thought you know it's like he's like power down the suit i thought it was maybe kind of a fun moment now when he like powers down the suit he like falls through his house you know, because it's sort of like, <laughs> oh, hey, the suit, it's 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 very heavy, you know, or like or yeah, d- yeah. whatever. Like, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of showing like weight and stuff. Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, overall, I don't think I had an issue with that. But I also okay. wasn't like giddy with it either. You, you know what I mean? Okay. I had two big issues with this scene. Okay. First yeah, of man. all, the music is absolutely horrible. <laughs> like, the music is so bad it's so stocky honestly our podcast intro is better and we got it for 90 bucks yeah hell yeah (laughs) yeah i i think what uh could have happened here is they spent so much money on the music for the start and the end of the movie which was utilizing you know back and and then iron man uh yeah yeah. I mean, I just, I just, I just think <laughs> that the music throughout the entire thing, it's like my stated position is that it's a given that the music is really bad. There was well, no point okay. in this movie. It's like bad, but they, they used like, you know, cheesy music yeah. because it was 2008 and right. this movie is pretty cheesy on its own, but it just, it took even more of a dive during this flight. And well, this sure. is supposed to be like the scene yeah. in the movie, right? Well, and they I, just put some stock music on it. I think to John's point, though, is that if Disney hadn't taken over, uh, that maybe we would not have seen 12 years of MCU movies. Because yeah. what begins to actually be a theme across movies is how good the music is when we get into future MCU movies. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, the music is like one of the big standouts, especially in the the big team ups and the, the bigger sequences. And um, obviously Disney has a, a bit of a bigger wallet there. And also a lot more experience uh, building music for movies. Right. Sure. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, definitely don't disagree with you there. Uh, the music didn't take me out of it, but also didn't increase my watch value. I will say 
when the movie started, I was waiting for the the Marvel intro theme music, which again only starts with Disney, but it's like the dun 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 like the big, you know, orchestral start with the Marvel logo. Uh and it was kind of interesting to not hear that and just see the little Paramount logo. Yeah, I like yeah. how when there was a sex scene earlier in the movie, they played like the Mission Impossible <laughs> soundtrack. It, it, like that was just that was just something that stood. Like it wasn't literally that, but it was like close enough to that. It was like it was like someone like was like stock music Mission Impossible that is just Tony Stark <laughs> fucking. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what is this? What am I watching? Oh, okay. Oh. You know what oh, that shit. sound means? Huh, it's what time to mean? check whether Christian paid attention to this whole movie. Here yeah, we go. Okay. Uh, we meet for the first time in this movie, Agent Coulson. Uh, right. Agent Coulson has uh, trying to set up a meeting with Tony Stark almost the entire movie. Uh, right. One question plus a bonus point. What uh-huh. organization does Agent Coulson work for, and what does the uh, acronym stand for? Uh, oh, I, ca- I cannot for the life of me remember what the acronym stands for, but it's S.H.I.E.L.D.? Wow. Uh, obviously, dude. I mean, I'm staring at... I have, like, old S.H.I.E.L.D. comic books in my house back when Nick Fury was, like, a white guy with an eye patch who fought communists, you know? Got it's it. like, shout-outs to S.H.I.E.L.D., dude, 100%. There you go. Um, yeah, but, I, but again, I will also say, in order to further reinforce my point, that um, the whole joke was that the name was hard to remember, so I yeah, don't think so I should get points off for that. No, no, that was just right. bonus anyways. You don't lose any points for not knowing it. It is yeah. uh, the Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement and Logistics Division. So Yeah, but you if know. you were really a gifted kid growing up, you would have gotten the extra points. Yeah, too. that's Come on. Yeah, that that's probably true. That yeah, that is true. Um okay, cool. And so we uh dive into more of this movie and now we've kind of set Wait, the base. Just really quick, Shatter said he had two problems with the flight scene. We Who only said that? One. Oh right, uh, yeah. John. John the... said John said there were two problems with the flight scene. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the other the other thing, it's a little bit more subjective. Um but usually in, in this scene they set up like, you know, the iconic, oh I can fly, my suit works deal, but then on top of that, there's the other storytelling device of like, this is what, this is what characterizes Tony Stark as like the foil or like the hero of the story, the foil to the villain, right? Yeah. What was what was the characteristic they were trying to nail down? What makes him better and able to win at the end? Uh, that he he tests his own stuff. Like, what, is that supposed to be the defining hero trait? Well, I think that it's, I think that it's his mind and his uh, skills that brought Stark Industries to where it was, and that others were trying to kind of profiteer on it. And I, can't, I think what it's kind of leading to is the fact that Tony is kind of the right start to build up this universe and potentially, you know, get this Avengers initiative going, which we'll talk about at the end of the movie, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, I think the whole point here especially as we go into the frost thing because you know i know that christian didn't like the whole fly up super high but in that moment i think well i think it did make sense because what What? tony knew is that flying (laughs) this thing to a certain altitude would eventually lead to some type of disruption in the ability for the suit to work and i don't think that he's somebody who's like you know what? We'll test that later. I'll get to it when I get to it. It's like he was ready to fly. He took a flight before he was 
probably should have done it and did his testing that he knew he needed to get done. He doesn't seem right. like a person so that leaves like, something until push... later. So he's like, let's push the boundaries. Let's go plus ultra, like, anime yeah. style. And... Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know what? That's okay. Yeah, and yeah, I think, I, I and, I, and, I, and I think to your point, which, again, it's not really even in defense of anything, but it, it's like, it's like you know, what is the foil? What is his defining hero characteristic? I mean, I kind of take it to mean that it's like, he's Iron Man, and other people can't be Iron Man because yeah. it's him. And so then it's like the whole thing is that, like, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, his, uh, his homie's, like, trying to be Iron Man, but he can't be because Tony Stark is Iron Man and ultimately it's his thing. And when people try to take his thing, they can't do it as well as him because he was the he, he, he's the only one that can do it. Yeah, you know, those are both very good points. I'll accept them and I'll agree. And also I'll take bonus points for getting Christian to talk good about the movie. Hey, yeah, there, there it is. Uh, Congratulations. Well- What's funny is that I've always known that, you know, these characters in these movies, but for some reason, and maybe it's just a testament to Jeff Bridges, but I didn't remember that Jeff Bridges played this character. Um, Dude, me either. But not that I didn't remember the character existed, because I did. I just always thought about it as the character, not the fact that Jeff Bridges was playing it. I thought it was overall, like, you can kind of say whether you liked... (laughs) you know, the character as a whole. <laughs> but I thought that he played it really well, personally. Okay, you know how I knew that Jeff Bridges was going to be the bad guy in this movie? Even before anything happened, as soon as he popped up on the screen, yeah. I was like, this dude looks like every one of my ex's stepdads, and that's how I knew he was the villain. Oh, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, Just he did. He old, did. He did white a big kind of thick, energy. bald, and huge, like, white beard. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, like uh, like vaguely Republican with just like the way that he talks and carries himself. Yeah, yeah. you you know Obadiah voted for Trump. Oh yeah, dude, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, well, uh, you know, as we go, we start to see that he is uh, very very ballsy, meaning he really just straight up tells Tony that he's right. Uh, doesn't even hold it back. He said, "I'm the one who's locked you out from the company. I'm the one who set all this stuff up." You've got to grow up. This is the way that it works. I mean, really, really ballsy out the gate there. And, you know, whether it was maybe they already had too much movie set up or what. But um, I thought it was kind of interesting how they didn't waste a bunch of time waiting until the very last minute of the movie to reveal that Obadiah was behind everything. Um, So I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, turn for them to take for this story. Yeah, for sure. I also like, uh, you know, I I maybe kind of enjoyed how it was like, you know, the terrorist cell was kind of a red herring because, you know, the dude just walks in and blasts him anyway. And then he's like, I am actually the ultimate evil. You know, it's like that was kind of it was kind of it was kind of fun, I guess. Like, I don't know. Um, Although it is always this like weird thing in movies like that where it's like, you know, the sort of like main dude who had captured Tony and the other guy. It's like. 
you know the villains are like really really competent when or like you know just like just like dastardly and evil i guess is maybe the better way to phrase it when they need to be but then also just like woefully inept and completely incapable of doing anything right also when they need to be it's like how do they get all the stark weapons in the first place if this dude is like such an idiot that he lets tony leave and then also he can't tell that he's about to be betrayed by this guy you know it's like sort of that like like that dude was just kind of like a limp dick of a fucking villain like he didn't really do anything and he just kind of dies but e but even still and, and then of course he dies off screen because you know hey listen right. there's kids in this movie uh we need the camera to pan away and then hear a bunch of machine gun bursts because if we actually saw that that might damage them sure Sure. Okay. Yeah, we don't want to traumatize the youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't. We, we don't want them thinking violence is cool or anything like that. <laughs> um, I will mention another thing here, which is going to be a theme throughout all the movies, is uh, Stan Lee made a cameo in this uh, movie right. as a Hugh Hefner lookalike. He even calls him. Uh, what does he call him? Hugh or Hefner? I don't know what he says. He says something yeah, to that effect. I think. I don't yeah, know. and uh, Stan Lee turns around, which is. Uh, pretty cool. I think he also did this in other uh, previous Marvel movies, like in uh, yeah. Spider-Man and others. So uh, it's nice to see this, and this continues on through uh, the majority of the MCU, even up till uh, the last few movies, which is uh, interesting considering he has now passed. In fact, Disney just signed a deal, I think, today to continue to use his likeness in certain merchandise. Oh yeah, and I saw things. that. Dude, what uh, if they just like released a Marvel movie? <laughs> And it's like exactly just a regular Marvel movie, the way that a Marvel movie would be. But the Stan Lee cameo is just his corpse, and no one talks okay. about it. Like, right. no one references it or mentions it. And then the movie just keeps going on as if that scene didn't happen. Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, yeah, that would be. Yeah, what a twist. That would um, be, that'd be pretty funny. Uh, yeah, so. We, anyway, we sorry continue we end up seeing this whole theme of the arc reactor and being kind of the the crutch in uh having other people replicate what tony can do again showing that tony is kind of the one who can be iron man right taking this giant arc reactor that powers a, a portion or all of that city nearby uh and reducing it down to that very small amount with those scientists in place that uh um, you know, are attempting to replicate that same work and cannot do it. Uh, what's interesting, which I won't dive into why or what the, how they end up showing up, but that scene and that scientist and everything else actually makes uh, a recall back uh, about 10 years later. So uh, I won't say where that comes in, but it's kind of interesting for someone like me who's watched through the entire MCU to go back and watch this to see all the things that are referenced in future movies. And I think that was uh, no way home, right? Yeah. 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 yeah okay. uh, yes. Or no. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. It Is wasn't it no not? way home. It was um, uh, far from home with uh, Mysterio. Far from home. Right. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. So uh, anyways, uh, one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this is uh, this podcast in general was as you know, Christian and I were discussing uh, the MCU and, you know, we talked about this in episode zero, so we won't go into it in depth, but, you know, people responding uh, emotionally to trailers or movies or whatever it is, but really seeing this movie again, showing how much is referenced and used across the next 10 years of movies was kind of uh, really an interesting thing to see. And hopefully, uh, Christian, as you watch more of it, you'll see uh, uh, maybe how other people see this, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, sure. And I like it. It's not that I'm oblivious to it. It's just that I think it's dumb. I guess that's my. I guess that's my. That, that, that's my stated position at the moment. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, uh, we do end up getting to an eventual part where we see that Obadiah has actually created another suit of armor uh, in some ways, but maybe uh, not up to par. And if only there was a way we knew how Tony was going to outwit Obadiah with his new giant super suit. Uh, what was really interesting, actually, is uh, I don't know if you noticed this too, John, is the uh, movement and the CGI they used for Obadiah's suit seemed mm -hmm. a lot like the same movements that Hulk is going to make, not only in the next movie, but in future movies, almost as if oh. they took the template of Hulk's movements and put it into this suit. You know, that's a really good catch. Um, I want to, I, I would lie to you and say that, yeah, I did catch that, but by the time this final scene had come <laughs> on the screen, I was mentally gone. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I, well, I could that's not hold on. Yeah. That's actually like, because when I first saw the blueprint for that, I was kind of like, what the fuck? Like, they're going to have like the Hulkbuster suit in this movie. Uh, Cause, like, be, that's because, what I thought originally. Yeah. yeah. And that, but then I was like, that would be like weird. But then I was like, maybe they'll do like some weird Hulk thing or what. But then it obviously it ends up just being the other guy's suit. But um, yeah. But I, I, I had, I had, I had, I caught similar vibes off that. I mean, maybe not to the Hulk thing, but like Hulk ask in the sense yeah. that, you know, Iron Man has the iconic Hulkbuster suit that he wears. And it's basically just that suit that, you know, Jebediah made. Yeah. That's his name, sure. Jebediah? Obadiah. Uh, Obadiah. It's basically just that suit that Obadiah made. Motherfucking yeah. Obi, dude. Yeah, well, Obi, bro. And again, the size of the suit is also in relation to the fact that nobody can do what Tony can do. Right, they had to build it bigger because they couldn't make it the same size as his suit with such small mechanics and small pieces that would allow the suit to be movable sure. and usable and all of that. So I yeah, thought that was also is just an more, thing. His brain is just more elegant. Yeah, sure. Elegant is something. Um, <laughs> you could say <laughs> for sure. Um, so, uh, and I'm curious. The one thing we haven't talked about, which we kind of get to. Uh, and I think even Christian, I saw it in your notes, was about uh, the relationship between Tony and Pepper. Um, and oh, my God, dude. <laughs> fucking kill me. Like, seriously? Like, I'm not even doing, like, haha, a bit for a podcast or whatever right now. Like, see, like that shit sucked. That was, like, so fucking awkward and not awkward because it was supposed to be awkward. But awkward is in, like, that was just written fucking not good, in my opinion. Yeah, it was uh, certainly a very rushed version of what it needed to be. Um, it, they kind of really forced that story to move faster than I think it needed to. But I also mm -hmm. wonder how long they felt like they had in regards to using Iron Man in movies and whether they felt like the MCU was going to continue as it did. Uh, but yeah, I did, I did feel it was a bit rushed. In the way that they handled the relationship between Tony yeah, and I, I I also thought it was weird because they sort of like establish it at the top where it's like Tony Stark's just this playboy, the fuck supermodels, and then Pepper yeah. is kind of like set up to be like the antithesis of this because she's like 
you know, a real person who like has feelings and loves Tony for Tony and not just what he has or whatever. But they like didn't make that distinction really, like because she's just kind of a fucking idiot too, you know. Like, and it's just like I don't know, dude. The 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 whole thing just felt weird to me, and like that scene. Where it's like, do you want to dance, you know? And then they're, like, kind of dancing, and they go outside, and it's like, what will everyone think, me in this dress and you here? And then she, like, goes to try and kiss. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't like that. I was, I, was, I was annoyed by that entire sequence of events. Yeah, I think, in general, what I liked about the relationship was the fact that they uh, clearly, like, met each other in conversation, meaning they kind of met each other in their wits, uh, maybe not in their intelligence, obviously, but I think that she was able to kind of wrangle him to do what he needed to do, and she was kind of the only person who was able to do that. I don't necessarily think all the romantic stuff needed to be in this movie. Um, in general, I liked the part that she played before that all happened. Yeah, I I kind of agree that it was awkward, but in comparison to the the script that we get of their dialogue like later on in different movies... I think this sets them up better than the rest of the like relationship was portrayed later on yeah. because they were actually given time to like kind of care for each other. They were in the same, you know, vicinity and going through these weird like growing pains, well, at least on Tony's end. Um and she was there to kind of guide him through and that gave him like a place to start. But later on, like we'll we'll see later on that the relationship kind of I don't know their dialogue becomes really bland uh, in comparison. Yeah, Pepper doesn't play a super large role in the future. Uh, I think she even skips out on at least one movie. So yeah, it'll be it's definitely not as focused on in the future. And I almost think maybe because this didn't hit super hard with people in the way that they portrayed it in this movie. So. Uh, also to Christian's point, sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. Uh the fact that like Pepper is supposed to be the antithesis to like all these supermodels that Tony's fucking is like kind of weird because Gwyneth Paltrow is like super attractive. Yeah. yeah. It would have been really funny th- for him to just like fall in love with his like secretary ugly girl (laughs) yeah no i just like a gross girl (laughs) yeah that would have been like impactful but of course they're not going to put like gross people as love interests in marvel movies you know but like yeah but you know i mean because because it because it sort of like sets it up like you know at the start he's like you know he's just like yo i I, i'd fuck women that's my thing and then but I'm so, but I'm so lonely and no one gets me. And then they kind of set up like Pepper is like the one that like kind of gets him. But even then, it's like it's still this like weird subservient thing where she's like enamored with him to a point that's completely unrealistic. You know, it's like I I, I don't know, dude. That the whole thing, I was just like, this is not realistic. Like, and of course, it's a movie about a guy that makes a giant metal suit. But I'm saying like. You know, even within the confines of the universe that they made, it still felt just sort of ham-fisted and, like, awkwardly performed. Sure. Sure. Well, she is uh, the the reason that he ends up getting saved, uh, brings Agent Coulson 
Dude, uh, to... that part <laughs> so funny. By the way, because like, why the fuck is Pepper there? Like, I kept thinking about that the entire time. Like, because she like kind of like goes to like you know Agent Coulson, and then there's the whole thing where it's like, hey, Obadiah is actually the 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 bad the bad guy, and he's like, let's go get him. And then like all of a sudden, Pepper's just like there too with everyone, being yeah. like trying to like arrest this guy, and it's like, what the fuck is happening? To well. This? I mean, the way that I viewed it was the fact that she found that information, found the info about uh, Sector 17 and where it was being developed, uh, but that maybe she didn't have all of the info of, like, the ability to get in the building, go through it, find the information. Uh, and that also, was she really not going to go? You know what I mean? Like, in this movie, if there was a dialogue of scene that was, like, uh, Agent Coulson telling Pepper, no, you need to stay behind because it's too dangerous. In my opinion, I think it's better they just cut all that shit out. Didn't have the point of the story where it was like, no, I'm going to go because I care about Tony and I need to be there for him. They just said, you know what, forget all that. She's going to go no matter what we say. We're just going to do this thing. Yeah, I guess. I'll, ex I'll, I'll, I'll accept that point because, because uh, I... We'd be sitting here right now if they had a scene where they were in the car and Coulson was like, no, it's too dangerous for you to go. If if he's doing what they if what you think he's doing, there's no way we can put you in harm's way. And she said, I care. I love Tony. I would never leave. We'd be talking about that scene. Right. right now, that would that. also be stupid. Yeah. yeah. Her being there <laughs> in general is dumb. No matter like. You know, because but you know, because again, I mean, because she doesn't really like it's like it's like it's like they just needed like a girl to be threatened. Like that was like it was like and and and, yeah. and so and so she has to be there, right? Because you because it, 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 it's last like you know it's fucking Princess Peach shit. You know, it's like if Coulson is being attacked by Hulkbuster suit and Tony's like, uh, you know, that's like less impactful than if Petite Girl is running away from this big overbearing man in a suit and Tony has to save her because he loves her and it's just never been it. You know, it's like so. Uh, so I get why she had to be there, but it kind of seemed like she had to be there in more of like a this is how Hollywood makes movies kind of way instead of like a this actually makes sense given the story kind of way. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I also think the other thing too is there's not a lot of options, meaning Pepper was really his, you know, besides Rhodey, who's I feel like kind of a friend, but, you know, a friend at work instead of like a real friend. So Pepper was kind of the only person who could be there for him in general as a as a person who cared about him. So I don't know. Uh, there was some of it was kind of forced on the fact that he doesn't have many other people there for him. And I think Pepper also knows that. And wasn't she like the reason that he won the fight? Like she helped. Yeah. Helped to overload the arc. Reactor. Right. Yeah. 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 So there was a purpose. Like, you have to so hit she, the she reactor. Rescued him. Well, it's, yeah, so, sort of. But I mean, but but anyone could have. Like, Coulson could have done that. It's just, you know, it, it, that's not how it was written. No, that's true. Sure. Well, uh, we end off this uh, uh, exciting adventure that kept you all engaged the entire time the with entire uh, time. Tony uh, having a press conference. Uh, now, out of curiosity, I'm curious, because I remember watching this in theaters uh, when it first came out. And I did not 
I didn't really know which way he was going to go, but I did think in my head there's a possibility he would just reveal that he's Iron Man. Um, but curious on your take of uh, his final announcement there to end the movie. Look, uh, in 2008, I was... Uh, how old was I? That was 14 years ago. So I was half the age that I am now. And I was a little idiot. I didn't understand what was going on. I mean, like, I understood the basics, but I didn't really understand uh, how to think critically about character arcs. So I will be honest and tell you that I had no idea, like, if I was supposed to expect anything or or not expect anything. So I don't know. I don't have an answer there. Yeah, I think um, this was absolutely a turn in superhero movies because it wasn't a normal thing for the hero or the superhero in that movie to reveal his identity, especially like right out the gate and have the entire world know. And I thought that, especially with the fact that they were going to continue to link this to future things that and that this wasn't a single one-off story, the fact that they began it by telling the entire world that he's Iron Man was a really cool thing. Uh, and that was different from other movies. So I thought that this was a really uh, nice choice for this. And again, sets up the rest of the MCU and how he's treated and how he works through the rest of his life. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. I mean, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it, I guess, which is a really boring opinion, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm true. I'm true neutral on the, like it was, it was fine. Yeah, given what the movie had been up till that point, I suppose it makes sense. It would have been weirder for him to be hiding the fact that he was Iron Man at the end of the movie because the entire thing is that he's like, he's growing and he's learning as a character and he's opening up and he's, you know, becoming more of a cool guy. But at the end of the day, damn it, if he ain't still Tony Stark. And then the movie ends on that note and it's kind of like, okay. Yeah, that's a really important point to make too is because throughout this movie like this single movie he does begin his journey to uh to character growth but we don't really see that much of it and it's kind of crazy to look back uh you know at end game now and see the difference in character between this iron mm -hmm. man and the end game iron man the, the the amount of like work they put into the character is insane yeah absolutely well, uh, that leaves us with uh, one of the first, uh, well, the first after credits uh, scene in a Marvel movie, um, which isn't bloopers. Uh, you know, movies previous to this that weren't Marvel movies had previously kind of done things where they would maybe show bloopers at the end of the credits or during the credits uh, or show other kind of extras and moments of TV shows or movies being filmed. Um, but this was one where they were setting up more of the future and they uh, had the first ever appearance of Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, uh, the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, setting up the fact that this was going to lead to an eventual creation of the Avengers through what uh, uh, Nick Fury says is the Avengers Initiative. Uh, yeah. This, again, has kicked off in the world of movies almost an expectation in a lot of movies like this not oh, just yeah. marvel that they all will have end credit scenes uh marvel used this a lot throughout all the future movies and we'll talk about them as we come to them but this was one where it was a really big deal and a big story point to the future of the marvel movies 
that they acknowledged that this is going to be something that builds to the Avengers. And so uh, curious uh, to hear uh, your thoughts on kind of that. Yeah, um, I don't care at all, but I don't have context <laughs> in a larger... Th yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I can imagine, like, you know, you sitting here being like, okay, I've seen all of these, and these are a thing that I enjoy, and so it's interesting to see, you know, this scene play out because it's, like, meaningful in the sense that it, like, sparks the the rest of this large thing that I have grown to know and love over the years. Like, again, for, from my perspective so far, I've seen Iron Man, um, and that scene means nothing to me. I don't, well, you know. I mean, you know what the Avengers are, though. And I think that anyone who was probably going to watch this in the first week that it came out in theaters probably had some level of idea of what Avengers meant, right? And sure. so for them, I think seeing this movie, seeing that note... If we're if we're taking it from the perspective of somebody seeing this for the first time, the problem is is that you can't watch these Marvel movies today and not kind of know what Avengers are, what all, right it's, and it's like so and like built in. Yeah, totally. I get that. I mean, I even, I mean, I I can't put myself into the time frame of somebody watching this movie for the first time, you know, fifteen years ago or whatever. But sure. um. Uh, what I can say is that I would imagine if I had watched this movie 15 years ago, I still wouldn't have cared about the scene at the end of the credits. Uh, well, That's my guess. Wait, I think sorry. I was thinking about Jeff Bridges on his segue. Could you restate the question? <laughs> yeah, we needed more scenes of Jeff Bridges on a segue. We, we absolutely it, did. It, it, it's certainly interesting how many movies back then utilized the segue to... Uh, say that this was a technology forward yeah, it's company. futuristic, <laughs> yeah. dude. They ride on fucking segways because they're say from it was a the segue future. into the future of technology. Yeah, imagine walking like ugh, gross. <laughs> well, yo, uh, dude, I think to I think to I think to wrap it up, uh, perhaps a thing that we should do um, in these uh, podcasts is uh, maybe. Uh, 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 Indy, uh, Dan, 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 Jesus maybe Christ. Dan, you uh, give uh, uh, maybe your least favorite thing about this movie, and I will tell you my favorite thing about this movie, and we can end on that note. Oh, man. Yeah, this is going to be difficult because it was such a good movie overall. Yeah, um, uh, was it, dude? No, no, yeah, no uh, I, I think... Uh, if I look at it from the highest of levels, not a nitpicky way, like maybe some other people within this podcast would do, um, I felt like the character of Rhodey was a bit of a waste in this movie. Um, and it was, uh, you know, looking at it now, if they had kept the same actor in the same uh, relationship and the same story moving forward and he would have become, you know, whatever he becomes in the future, War Machine, I think that would have been uh, pretty disappointing. And so... I think that all kind of fell flat to me was the roadie story and the character and the storyline in general. Yeah, I feel that. I think that if I had to pick like a thing that I liked, actually, it probably wouldn't be anything like, you know, tonally uh, or whatever, because I uh, overall I found this movie quite boring, frankly. But um, uh, <laughs> there, there, there was a scene that I really liked. I actually like unironically really, really liked it. 
And it was uh, the scene where uh, uh, Stark calls Pepper into his lab, and he has, like, the hole in his chest, and he's like, can you, like, grab the wire for me? And she has to, like, <laughs> stick her hand yeah. down into his chest to, like, find the wire and fish it out, and then she accidentally pulls the wrong thing, and he starts dying, and then she has <laughs> to, like, stick her hand. But, like, that whole thing, I thought I thought that was cool. I, 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 I actually enjoyed that. I was like, hey, that's, that's fucking sick. That's, that's on brand. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, there you go. And uh, sick, dude. Well, uh, yo, I think, uh, you know, it's something that uh, Dan hates, something Christian likes, and then uh, maybe we give John last word. Any last words? Any last words? Um, this movie's kind of mid, and I think that fits the theme. It's a good so. thing we have you here, John, because I don't know how to use mid in a sentence properly. So yeah, it's great that we have the youth of the community here. To the youth, <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah, we got uh, we got some, we got some nice young blood to keep this podcast. Uh, current. You know, ironically, mid doesn't mean like middle. It it actually means that this movie sucks. Okay, so. well, I'm glad that everyone <laughs> tuned in for this first episode of Cape Shit. Uh, thanks, everybody. Yeah, bye. See ya. Bye.